Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. AINC programming is brought to you in part by Weissman Family Dental in Boulder, Colorado. For over 25 years, Weissman Family Dental has been providing high-quality dentistry. They offer regular checkups, emergency care, and a wide range of specialty services. They also have staff that speak Spanish. If you're looking for a new dentist, find them at WeissmanFamilyDental.com or call them at 303-494-0101 and tell them Audio Information Network of Colorado sent you. Thank you for joining us for the Thursday, April 27, 2023 reading of the Boulder Weekly. My name is Eric Levine. News, Now You Know, April 27, 2023, by Boulder Weekly staff. This week's news in Boulder County and beyond. Motion for partial judgment in lawsuit against Boulder's blanket ban. The ACLU and other plaintiffs in a lawsuit against the city of Boulder over its camping ban have asked for a partial judgment in the case, which could stop the city from enforcing its camping ban. In a motion filed on April 21, the ACLU said the city had admitted to enough, quote, key factual allegations, unquote, to support the lawsuit's claim that the camping ban violates the state constitution's prohibition on cruel and unusual punishment. The so-called blanket ban forbids living or sleeping outside while using, quote, any cover or protection from the elements other than clothing, unquote. In an email to Boulder Weekly, ACLU staff attorney Annie Kurtz wrote that because the city admitted to not having adequate sheltering options and that the Boulder Police Department enforces the ordinance, quote, without regard to whether unhoused people have any option for indoor shelter, unquote, the ordinance violates the Colorado Constitution. The city has denied that enforcement of the camping ban violates state law. Kurtz said other deadlines in the lawsuit will be pushed back until Boulder County District Court Judge Robert R. Gunning rules on the motion for partial judgment. Plan made to restore Boulder Valley Velodrome. After sitting dormant for nearly three years, a new investor plans to bring the Boulder Valley Velodrome back to life. BW, excuse me, BVV Holdings agreed to purchase the 250-meter wooden track on the outskirts of Erie, 601 Bonnell Avenue, with nonprofit Team Colorado Cycling signing on to operate the facility. Todd Stevenson with Team Colorado Cycling says the envisioned track will host full-time racing, junior development camps, and national and international events. He also wants it to uplift the community. Quote, the Velodrome will become a community hub 
for people other than members and cyclists, unquote, he wrote in an email, quote, and we are eager to engage with the town of Erie to host community events throughout the season, unquote. Stevenson sees the velodrome hosting events like ride-in movies, concerts, food trucks, and other family-friendly events starting early this summer. The change of ownership comes as the track has been closed for more than three years after a tumultuous beginning, including construction setbacks and a pandemic-related failed purchase agreement. Repairs and improvements to the velodrome, which is one of four international standard 250-meter tracks in the U.S., include stripping paint from the track surface, raising sections of concrete, opening a new rider lounge, and landscaping work. Quote, by restoring the Boulder Valley Velodrome, we can bring new people to the sport and develop the next generation of cycling legends from the United States, unquote. Makala Jaramillo, a junior cyclist, said in a press release. Team Colorado Cycling is hosting a public open house at the track from 2 to 5 p.m. on May 6. Community Cycle distributes e-bikes to low-income commuters. There will be 60 new e-bike riders on some of Boulder's multi-use paths, thanks to Community Cycles and a grant from the Colorado Energy Office. The bikes are destined for commuters making 80% of area median income, AMI, about $67,000 or less, and work for one of four specific organizations, Boulder Community Health, CU Boulder, Boulder Valley School District, and Downtown Boulder Partnership. In addition to meeting income and employer requirements, applicants are ranked based on distance needed to travel to work, secure bike parking options, and comfort on a bicycle. Successful applicants will get a bike for $0 to $250, depending on income, this summer. Quote, our mission is to get more people on bikes, teach them how to use and maintain their bikes, and work for safe places for walk and ride, unquote. Community Cycles Executive Director Sue Prant wrote in an email to Boulder Weekly, quote, this program does all that, unquote. If you meet these qualifications, work with your employer to apply. If you don't and are interested in an e-bike, keep an eye out for a potential e-bike voucher program being discussed between Community Cycles and the City of Boulder. Construction for Affordable Homes Approved The Lafayette City Council on April 18 gave the go-ahead for the first construction phase of one of the largest mixed-use and sustainable housing neighborhoods in Boulder County. Willoughby Corner, located southwest of 120th Street and East Emma Street in Lafayette, will include 400 new rentals and for-sale affordable homes when fully complete. The first construction phase, starting in May, includes 63 affordable 
ADA accessible apartments for adults age 55 and above, 129 affordable multifamily homes, and a community center. Boulder County Housing Authority, which drafted the plans approved by the council, predicts it could begin accepting applications for Willoughby Corner in spring 2024 for people at or below 60% of the area median income, AMI, or $52,680 for a household of one. According to Boulder County, Willoughby Corner will be the largest net-zero affordable housing development in the state by combining solar and geothermal technologies with energy-efficient building design and materials. More than $20 million from city, county, and federal funds are being used to finance the project. Got news tips? Email wmatuska, W-M-A-T-U-S-K-A, at boulderweekly.com. Opinion. The Women, Life, Freedom Movement in Iran is encouraging as we fight for women's bodily autonomy here in the U.S. by Shawin Rudbari and Sabrina Sideris, April 27, 2023. How do we organize together in social movements with longevity? Our collective strategies, our power analyses, and our direct action can bring about lasting social change, or it can be a spark that fizzles out. On rare occasions, we find inspiration in surprising places. One of those is presenting itself right now. In Iran, women, youth, and their allies of all genders and ages have been waging an anti-patriarchal, pro-democracy struggle since September. As we fight for women's bodily autonomy here in the U.S., we can find inspiration in Iran. The Islamic Republic is a patriarchal regime that is enforcing, quote, female modesty, unquote, through the mandatory covering of women's hair and bodies. Women can be arrested by morality police for simply showing their hair in public. Even worse, they can face state-sanctioned rape, torture, imprisonment, and even murder. This happened to Masa Gina Amini, a 22-year-old Kurdish Iranian who was visiting Tehran and wearing her headscarf loosely. She was arrested and sent to a re-education camp. Several days later, she died in police custody after being brutally beaten. Masa Amini's death set off widespread protests which continue today. Young women have been removing head coverings mandated by the conservative regime and cutting off their ponytails in public. In their classrooms, girls in uniform can be seen giving the middle finger to the framed photograph of the supreme leader of Iran. For more than seven months now, the Iranian people have resisted peacefully. Middle schoolers have taken control of their schools, High school girls have mobilized protests in their neighborhoods. 
college students have organized walkouts and boycotts on their campuses. Iranian oil workers went on strike in solidarity with youth-led protests. A song, Barayi, by Iranian singer-songwriter Shervan Hajipur won a Grammy Award. The Islamic Republic has responded with extreme violence. They have beaten girls to death in their schools and even used mass poisoning, which has escalated as punishment. They have imprisoned almost 20,000 Iranians for their participation in the movement. They have executed at least four protesters. Stories of gang rape in prison are being verified by Amnesty International. Indeed, this is one of the most dramatic women's movements in history, gaining global attention. What can we stand to learn from the women of Iran? The Women Life Freedom Movement has at least three powerful lessons for us. One, everyone can come together around a deep injustice that is taking place. What we cannot abide can, can bind us to one another. Two, we must overcome our cynicism and believe that change is possible against all odds. Three, each person needs to find ways to contribute to the movement for women's freedom. There is so much we can each do to help sustain the hashtag Women Life Freedom Movement. We can educate ourselves, read articles about the bold and courageous people of Iran, engage in conversations with loved ones, and lean into our curiosity. Consider the risks and sacrifices that thousands and thousands of people in Iran are taking to enable change. Doing so may help you realize that radical alternatives to patriarchy are possible in every nation. If you aren't yet participating in the U.S. movement to assert women's bodily autonomy, gather inspiration from the young people risking their lives in Iran and the workers who stand in solidarity with them, defending their expressions of dissent. As Shirin Ibadi, women's rights activist and Nobel Peace Prize winner, speaking about the fight to protect abortion, told us on Friday, April 7, when we hosted her at CU Boulder, quote, oppression of people and violation of human rights are like a virus, unquote, Ibadi said, quote, so we can't just decide to be silent about it because it is contagious. If it happens in one society, it can take over, and it can take over all over the world, unquote. Shawin Rudbari and Sabrina Sedaris are both educators at CU Boulder. This opinion does not necessarily reflect the views of Boulder Weekly. Cuisine, good taste, samosa shopping. Chef Dave Hadley builds a new menu for the latest Rosetta Hall stall by Colin Wren, April 27. 2023. Dave Hadley's voice is hard to miss. Folks have probably heard it booming through the farmer's market since the chef opened his roving stall, Samosa Shop, a few years back. Or they may have caught it in their own home during one of Hadley's appearances on Food Network Mainstay's Chopped or Supermarket Stakeout.
wherever it was, Hadley was surely evangelizing the cuisine of southern India. He speaks a mile a minute with slang that quickly reveals his East Coast origins. Born and raised in Jersey City, New Jersey, Hadley developed an early love for cooking. With a combined 12 aunts and uncles, he was exposed to the controlled chaos of entertaining from an early age. Quote, Hospitality has always been at the forefront of my family. I just didn't realize that was the word until later, unquote, he says. In 2010, Hadley began attending the Culinary Institute of America. Quote, my parents tried to convince me not to go to cooking school, unquote, he says with a laugh. But their attempt at sabotage went largely unnoticed, masked by an indomitable conviction. He since cooked at Mark Fisher's 689 in Carbondale, at Bijou's Little Curry Shop in Denver, as well as running a year-long stint at Gagan Anand's famed two Michelin star Indian eatery in Bangkok. In August of 2020, he launched Samosa Shop, the project saw Hadley peddling thousands of samosas at markets largely around Denver and gained traction at the many socially distanced events that sprang up that summer. Some of his stock leaned traditional, with choices like sag, vegan potato, and tandoori chicken. There were also more outlandish flavors, like the bacon and egg breakfast option. Quote, there's a business, and then there's passion food. That middle ground you got to work for, unquote, Hadley says. Quote, no wonder my samosas take seven effing hours, unquote. He will be relaunching the concept at both Boulder and City Park Farmers Markets beginning Saturday, May 6. Quote, Indian food has always been happening in America, unquote, he says. Quote, my goal is to educate people that there's another idea than what Indian food is perceived as, unquote. On Wednesday, April 26, Hadley opened India in the chameleon stall at Rosetta Hall. Over the course of the previous month, he acted as consulting chef, producing an eight-item menu and developing systems so that staff could execute the dishes in his absence. He taught a spice class and introduced cooks to a vocabulary they could use at India's Grocery on 28th Street, where he sources many of the ingredients he uses for samosa shop. The dishes all arrive with the high-mindedness that befits the chef's pedigree, but it's also memory-drenched home cooking, with details recalling the cuisine of Hadley's mother and grandmother, who grew up in the southwestern state of Kerala. Quote, Dave is just so charismatic, unquote, says Sarah Beckwith, Rosetta's director of operations. Quote, he brings so much passion about the cuisine that only someone who knows it intimately could, unquote. The menu is divided between four small plates and four robust mains, it's essential to start with the pea and potato samosas, 
a plate of three that uses the same recipe that has made Samosa Shop such a powerhouse. From there, the Cauliflower 65 is a good play, repurposing the classic dish made famous by the Hotel Buhari, Chennai, for a vegetarian crowd. Most dishes come topped with fresh and sautéed curry leaves, and everything is genuinely remarkable. The star of the stellar lineup is the lamb vindaloo that comes atop of a bed of upma, a grits-like porridge that tastes like buttered popcorn. Quote, it's my ode to Americana, but still from India, unquote, Hadley says. While Hadley admits he will not likely be particularly boots on the ground with the Rosetta Hall project, the cooking is in good hands with chef Mike Sullivan, who has been running the show across the concepts for more than two years. It's currently open Tuesday through Saturday for dinner, though there are plans to shift the schedule to seven days a week come July 1. Beckwith says the project has no set end date. The team plans to run it through the summer, with Beckwith noting that it could potentially become a permanent feature, fixture if the demand is there. Cuisine, Nibbles, Triple Treat Destination How a Lafayette Eatery Dishes Everything for Everyone All at Once by John Lendorf, April 27, 2023 Walking into Button Rock Bakery, 400 West South Boulder Road, Suite 2200 in Lafayette, you're not surprised to find the glazed cream puff eclairs and frosting stuffed cookie sandwiches that have made the eatery a dessert lover's magnet. What you don't expect to encounter is sashimi and nigiri, spot-on Reuben sandwiches and eggplant parm grinders. Not only are they available at Button Rock's sister counters, Kenny Lou's Deli and Sushi Bar, but everything on the menu is as fresh and first-class as the best-selling cupcakes. Opening a three-headed culinary destination wasn't necessarily what Button Rock's owner and pastry chef, Jamie Lachelle, had in mind when she searched for a new location. Quote, this is a former brewery with 7,000 square feet, so it was way too big for just a bakery, unquote, Lachelle says. That led to hiring chef John Bauer to launch Kenny Lou's Deli. Quote, it's an homage to my father. He's an East Coast guy and loves sandwiches, unquote, Lachelle says, meaning Kenny Lou's menu fuses the best of Jewish and Italian delis. Even after adding the deli, Lachelle still had more space and a bar she didn't want to remove. Quote, I asked a sushi, sushi chef, Jason Girk, who had just lost his job because of the pandemic, if he wanted to open a sushi bar, unquote, she says. This culinary mashup works so well because each part of this three meals a day multiverse has separate kitchens and chefs, but a shared scratch-made ethos. Besides the bakery's devotion to fresh ingredients, the deli makes its own corned beef and sauerkraut 
and smokes lox and turkey. The sushi is made from fresh sushi-grade fish. Quote, sometimes we get, oh, wedding cakes and sushi in the same place? But each has its own kitchen, unquote, Lachelle says. When you walk in, the sushi bar is on your left. In the middle is the deli, and to, right, to the right is the bakery. Quote, I like to think of this as a bodega where you can get a lot of different things, unquote, Lachelle says, as she sits near a glass case filled with grab-and-go soups, sushi rolls, cookies, salads, mac and cheese, and Korean barbecue ribs. Button Rock's plethora of offerings caters well to busy families with diverse palates. Quote, I'm a mom with two kids, eight and nine years old. I understand about not having enough time, unquote, Lachelle says. Nevertheless, she's still very much hands-on at the bakery, especially when it comes to making and delivering the bakery's wedding cakes. Button Rock is not one of those cookie-only TikTok bakeries. It's a classic neighborhood bakery connected to people's lives. Quote, Lafayette feels like a tight-knit community. It feels palpable, unquote, Lachelle says. Quote, I love seeing the same families for birthdays and weddings and watching kids grow up, unquote. The roster of baked goods ranges from breakfast pastries and chocolate chip cookies to macaroons, scones, and gluten-free, vegan, and dairy-free options. Kenny's, Kenny Lou's deli menu is equally expansive, offering more than 65 sandwich and burger options and all-day breakfast. The nearly perfect East Coast-style Reuben sandwich layers house-made corned beef and sauerkraut with Emmental cheese and Thousand Island dressing on grilled rye bread. It comes with the traditional half-spear sour pickle and hot-from-the-fryer fries. Button Rock is located in The District, a sprawling interior mini-mall with food businesses. Lachelle recommends also visiting Otis Coffee, and Knox Donuts. Customers can eat inside the bakery, on a patio, or at tables inside the mall. Button Rock's owner is a huge fan of the burgeoning Lafayette food community and eateries like Tangerine, Cajun Seafood, and Acreage. Quote, I respect the hell out of anyone doing food service, unquote, she says. Quote, I love going to the other Lafayette bakeries. Genoa's patisserie is outrageously good, unquote. Sweet Bites Panaderia is also near Button Rock. After recently being approved for a liquor license, Button Rock customers can have wine with their eclair, beer with their nutty kale salad with Marcona almonds and goat cheese, and wash down their fire-in-the-sky roll with tuna and avocado topped with salmon, tuna, and crispy onions, with sake. By the way, the city of Lafayette is looking for a new civic slogan by April 30. May we suggest, quote, city of a hundred flavors, unquote.
Local food news out of this world cider. Yuki Pizza and Wings is open next to King Supers at 385 Crossing Drive in Lafayette. Gundruk Taste of Nepal in India is open at 2770 Arapahoe Road in Lafayette. Coming soon, Miko Coffee Collective, 1280 Centaur Village Drive, Lafayette. Condé Nast Traveler recently featured Lafayette as one of the best small-town day trips from Denver. Food destinations mentioned include East Simpson Coffee Company, Teokali Cocina, Community, and Acreage by Stem Ciders. Acreage is now serving Capstone Stem Ciders Hoppy Release with Raspberry and Meyer Lemon, crafted in collaboration with Advanced Space to honor NASA's Artemis missions. Entertainment Books Her Dark Materials Local author Hilary Leftwich's memoir spares no one in account of domestic abuse and trauma by Bart Shaneman, April 27, 2023. Hillary Leftwich wanted her son to know what his first years on Earth were like, and she wanted him to know the whole unvarnished truth. A few of those key points. He had an abusive, horrific father. His mother made some big mistakes, and his terrifying epilepsy forced him into devastating treatments that affected him mentally and physically. In her new memoir, Aura, the Denver-based writer speaks directly to her son throughout the book about this harrowing time. Quote, I strongly feel as a writer, we have a responsibility to our audience, especially when we're writing creative nonfiction, to be as honest as we can, unquote, Leftwich says. Quote, However, the more important audience is my son. That was my whole motivation behind writing as vulnerable as I can, unquote. That vulnerability permeates the narrative as Leftwich crafts a story of pain and struggle that's at times so unflinching and raw, it's hard not to imagine the toll it took to write. During the process, she accessed her son's medical and court records and old photos, some of which are included in the book. These bureaucratic and personal artifacts sit alongside more otherworldly elements like spells based in folk magic developed by Leftwich through her experience reading Wiccan texts as a kid in Colorado Springs. But when it came to revisiting this dark material from more than 10 years ago, she sought out a pair of therapists to help her process the emotions. At the time, she says she had to disassociate or she would have lost her mind. Quote, to write the book almost felt like an out-of-body experience, unquote, Leftwich says, quote, sometimes I can't believe we made it through all of that, unquote. The result is the story of a young woman's life in America as she fends off a vicious man who is also the father of her child, a personal horror 
told with a specificity and attention to detail that in the end makes it universal. Quote, when we talk about domestic violence, it's usually very similar across the board, unquote, Leftwich says, quote, I wasn't trying to step outside of that because nobody wants to be unique in that situation. The only difference is I got out and there are so many women who don't, unquote. Leftwich considers herself lucky Domestic violence tends to escalate with sometimes deadly ends, yet the author doesn't make a claim to exceptional strength or any other special attribute that helps her make it out alive. Quote, it's more about how women are treated differently in these situations and how quickly we can vanish and how quickly we're overlooked, unquote, Leftwich says, quote, that's the universal thing I wanted to speak on, unquote. Normally a fiction writer, Leftwich says she found the memoir form freeing when it came to unpacking the trauma of Aura. It allowed her to be honest with herself and her audience about a painful and poignant slice of her life. Quote, if we step into the realm of memoir, we have the same responsibility as writing fiction, unquote, she says. Quote, we have to write about the world around us, our reaction to it, and how we survived it. I would do it again, even though it was terrifying, unquote. Leftwich credits her future tense publisher, Kevin Sampsell, with helping her navigate the terror of the writing process. Samsell is well known in the indie lit world for championing authors and helping lesser known writers find an audience. Quote, I call him my book doula, unquote, Leftwich says, quote, he was so crucial. He saw the potential. He had me write about childhood. There was so much more I had to write to make the memoir feel complete, unquote. On the other side of the process, when she thought about how this book would land, Leftwich ultimately only had one reader in mind. Quote, it's about holding myself accountable to my son and making damn sure he had a good, honest account of what happened to him, unquote, she says. Quote, I wanted to be as real as I could for him because really it's just all about him, unquote. On the page, Frame Literary Salon featuring Jay Halsey, Hilary Leftwich, Claire Corina Stevens, and Heather Goodrich. 7 to 9 p.m., Friday, May 5, East Window Gallery, 4550 Broadway, Suite C3B2 in Boulder, free. Features, Be Weed Between the Lines, Street Legal. Unlike the alcohol industry, cannabis is cooperating with CDOT and MAD to raise awareness about the dangers of driving high by Will Brenza, April 20, 2023. Drunk driving wasn't illegal in all 50 states until 1988. 
The National Minimum Drinking Age Act not only set the age of consumption to 21, it also made driving under the influence of alcohol illegal nationwide. That might seem insane today, but just 35 years ago, it was perfectly legal to get in your car, crack a brewski, and hit the road. It still might be if it hadn't been for Mothers Against Drunk Driving, MAD. Throughout the 1980s, MAD helped states pass more than 700 drunk driving laws. The organization pushed to close loopholes, impose stricter penalties, and lower the legal blood alcohol limit to 0.08, where it remains today. Since MAD was founded, there has been a 55% reduction in drunk driving deaths, with little thanks to the alcohol industry itself. Their lobbyists fought hard against MAD and still are today. According to the National Library of Medicine, in order to create a favorable political environment, the alcohol industry is still using, quote, information and other means to gain access to political decision makers, promoting alternative policies or voluntary measures, providing financial incentives to influence government policymakers, and employing legal preemption, litigation, or circumvention, unquote. The cannabis industry, by comparison, is taking the opposite approach. Cannabis brand Native Roots is working cooperatively with MAD and the Colorado Department of Transportation, CDOT, and conducting its own research on cannabis-impaired driving to promote safer driving habits. Quote, regardless of substance or scenario, impaired driving is never okay, unquote, says Liz Zukowski, Policy and Public Affairs Manager at Native Roots Cannabis Company. Quote, we feel a responsibility and duty to inform our customers about how cannabis can impact the body and mind and how to make a safe transportation plan when consuming, unquote. That's why, ahead of 420, Native Roots teamed up with RBI Strategies to conduct a survey to understand the consumption and driving habits of their customers. Quote, there wasn't a lot of consumer data out in the public relating cannabis use with a customer's driving habits, unquote, Zukowski says. Quote, so we saw this gap in the data and set out to fill that gap, unquote. Over 16 days in February, 520 people responded to questions at 10 Native Roots locations about cannabis use and driving. The interviews were staggered across the morning, afternoon, and evening, and the results were revealing, if not surprising. 41% of respondents say they may drive under the influence with 22% saying they would, would drive, depending on the amount they consumed, 11% saying they were very likely to drive while high, and 8% saying they probably would. 15% of respondents 
said they consume cannabis while driving in a vehicle or on a scooter or bicycle. 12% said they ride with a driver who is under the influence of cannabis every day. 24% of daily users didn't even know you could get a DUI for driving high. There were also places where cannabis consumers demonstrated responsibility. More than 70% said they're almost never a passenger with a high driver, and 96% said they usually consume at home or at a friend's house or at an event. More than half, 59%, indicated they were, quote, not very likely, unquote, to drive while high. For non-regular users, it was even less, with just 2% indicating they would operate a vehicle while stoned. Quote, I thought it was really interesting how much these results resembled some of the research that's been done by the Centers for Disease Control over the years, unquote, says Sam Cole, Traffic Safety Manager with CDOT, referencing a CDC report from 2021. Quote, they're showing about the same number, the same percentage of cannabis consumers that are driving high that we've seen in previous data, unquote. On top of the survey, Native Roots is also partnering with CDOT to train all of its 180 bud tenders using CDOT's Cannabis Impaired Driving course. The course, offered through the platform Learn Brands, is using cannabis bud tenders as an entry point for education about driving while impaired. Zukowski says this course is now a standard part of Native Roots bud tender training. As part of this partnership with MAD and CDOT, Native Roots is also offering free delivery services through April 22. So you've, if you've already partaken and don't want to risk getting behind the wheel, you won't have to. Features, Lab Notes, Blasting the Planet Next Door by Travis Metcalf, May 27, 2021. In September 1859, the most powerful explosion in recorded history burst from the surface of the sun, releasing more energy than a billion of the largest nuclear bombs that have ever been in the U.S. arsenal. When the magnetic eruption reached the Earth, it induced currents in telegraph wires across the globe, shooting sparks out of pylons and delivering an electrical shock to some operators. Last month, researchers at the University of Colorado announced unprecedented observations of an even more powerful event that came from the nearest star to the solar system, Proxima Centauri. Sun-like stars are born with strong magnetic fields, which gradually decay throughout their lifetimes. In their youth, turbulent motions near the surface of a star frequently twist up their magnetic fields and produce violent eruptions that send harmful radiation and charged particles bursting into space. By the time stars reach middle age like our sun, these stellar flares become much less frequent and typically release less energy. 
The most powerful explosions on the sun occur about once in a century, while more feeble events are happening all the time. Stars are formed in a variety of sizes, and the smallest of them age more slowly than the largest. The lifetime of a star is determined by the amount of fuel around the nuclear fusion-powered core, and by how quickly they burn through that fuel. Like automobiles, tiny Prius-like stars are more efficient than their bloated SUV-like cousins. The sun is about halfway through its 10 billion year lifetime, while smaller red dwarf stars like Proxima Centauri can live a thousand times longer. Since the universe has only existed for less than 14 billion years, even the oldest red dwarf stars are still in their infancy and display the magnetic exuberance that is typical of youth. Proxima is the nearest component of a triple star system about four light years, or 25 trillion miles, away in the direction of the constellation Centaurus. The other two stars, known as Alpha Centauri A and B, orbit each other every 80 years, while distant Proxima swings around that pair every half million years. Two planets have been discovered around Proxima, one of which has a size similar to the Earth and orbits in the so-called habitable zone where liquid water could theoretically exist. However, this zone is snuggled quite close to faintly shining Proxima compared to our solar system, making the frequent and energetic flares from the young red dwarf even more problematic. Quote, it is hard to imagine that life forms like we have on Earth would be able to survive, unquote, says Meredith McGregor, an assistant professor in the Department of Astrophysical and Planetary Sciences at CU Boulder. Quote, any life would have had to evolve to be able to handle continual large doses of ultraviolet radiation, unquote. McGregor is a Boulder native, and she was an eager participant in science fair competitions starting in elementary school. As a high school junior, she won a top award at Intel's International Science and Engineering Fair for a novel physics experiment she conducted in the basement of her family home. She earned her undergraduate and doctoral degrees from Harvard and was a postdoctoral fellow at the Carnegie Institution for Science before joining the faculty at CU a few months ahead of the pandemic. Two years ago, McGregor coordinated an intense campaign to monitor the brightness of Proxima over several months using nine different telescopes, measuring light from the ultraviolet to high-energy radio waves. The idea was to capture the wide spectrum of radiation produced by the frequent stellar flares on Proxima to better understand the physics that drives these energetic events. During the campaign, Proxima released a flare that was roughly 100 times more powerful than the 1859 event on the Sun. Quote, the star went from normal to 14,000 times brighter when seen in the ultraviolet over the span of a few seconds, unquote, explains McGregor.
Quote, Proxima Centauri's planets are getting hit by something like this not just once in a century, but at least once a day, if not several times a day. Although the observations are a bad sign for the prospects of life on Proxima's planets, humanity may get a chance to see for themselves later this century. In 2016, venture capitalist Yuri Milner announced an initiative to send a fleet of microchip-sized space probes to fly past Proxima Centauri. Each star chip would weigh about as much as a penny, attached to a reflective light sail measuring 15 feet across. Once in orbit, with their light sails unfurled, high-powered lasers on Earth would accelerate the tiny spacecraft to 15 to 20 percent of the speed of light, allowing them to make the journey to the nearest star in 20 to 30 years. The project is estimated to cost up to $10 billion, with the first launch anticipated in 2036. Considering the duration of the mission and the additional four years to return data from that distance, future astronomers could release the first images of the crispy planet next door sometime in the 2060s. Yes, friends, there's a lot of space between the stars. Travis Metcalf, Ph.D., is a researcher and science communicator based in Boulder. The Lab Notes series is made possible in part by a research grant from the National Science Foundation. Events In person, Rocky Mountain Corral, Saturday, April 29, 2023, 7.30 p.m. to 9.30 p.m. At the First United Methodist Church, 1421 Spruce Street in Boulder. Price $10 to $25. Rocky Mountain Chorale invites you to their spring concert, The Hope of Loving, April 28 and 29. Join the chorale accompanied by a string quartet as they present The Hope of Loving by Jake Runstad, as well as selections by Schubert. Haydn, Vivaldi, plus new compositions by Corral members. Advanced tickets now available online. More info at www.rockymountaincorral. That's R-O-C-K-Y-M-T-N-C-H-O-R-A-L-E dot O-R-G. Or contact Betty Rasmussen at Rocky Mountain Corral, that's R-O-C-K-Y-M-O-U-N-T-A-I-N, Corral, C-H-O-R-A-L-E, at gmail.com, or by phone at 303-242-4386. They Might Be Giants, Friday, May 12, 2023, 8 p.m., at the Boulder Theater, 2032, 14th Street, Boulder, Colorado, 303-786-7030. Price, $35 to $39.50, ages 16 plus. They Might Be Giants presents Songs from Mink Carr, 
This September 11 marks the 19th anniversary of Mink Carr. They might be Giant's notorious lost album. With tracks produced with hitmakers Clive Langer and Alan Winstonley, as well as Adam Schlesinger of Fountains of Wayne, the album was filled with standout tracks like Bangs, Cyclops Rock, Man, It's So Loud in Here, Older, She Thinks She's Edith Head, and of course the title track, Mink Carr. But the brilliant reception the album de seemed destined to have was not to be. Restless Records closed their doors for business forever, just weeks after the release date, and the album's rights were instantly entangled in that bankruptcy. Released just a year before the iPod and Napster musical revolutions, and with the curious distinction of no physical albums in distribution, the album essentially disappeared. It would be the first and only They Might Be Giants album to go out of print. This special Evening With performance is presented amidst TMBG's Flood Celebration Tour. While the band won't be playing every track off of Mink Car, they will present all of their favorites off the album, along with some flood tracks and crowd pleasers old and new. Some more good news in bad times from They Might Be Giants in August. TMBG offered up a special limited edition benefit t-shirt with 100% of profits going to RAICES, R-A-I-C-E-S, a Texas legal team aiding separated families and detained minors seeking asylum in the U.S. Over the course of a wild month, the TMBG fan community raised $60,000. In the last days of the fundraiser, John Flansburg accidentally autofilled an email address meant for a Jeff on the band's road crew with Jeff Lawson, the founder of Twilio, who had hosted the band at a company event a few years back. Jeff mentioned he was encouraged by the band's effort to raise money to end this harrowing episode, and he offered to match any funds raised by the band. This, in turn, led to a whole new wave of interest on social media, ultimately bringing the total money raised to $200,000. Yes, the band raised $200,000 for a very good cause by selling t-shirts. Vocal Freedom Singer-Songwriter Showcase, hosted by Rebecca Folsom, Friday, May 12, 2023, 7 to 9 p.m., at the Center for Musical Arts, 200 East Baseline Road in Lafayette, Colorado. 303-665-0599. Price, $15. Crisp and Green opens in Boulder, Saturday, April 29, 2023, 9.30 a.m. to 7 p.m. at 1675 29th Street, Suite 1272 in Boulder. Free. Crisp and Green, Denver's newest fast casual restaurant offering chef-crafted healthy fare, 
is opening its fifth Colorado location on Saturday, April 29, 2023, in Boulder at 1675 29th Street, Suite 1272 in Boulder. The brand is locally owned and locally loved by Denver franchise group FRCG Limited, who plans to open more locations of the brand in the state of Colorado. For Saturday's main event, Crispin Green has partnered with local Boulder Orange Theory Fitness, who will offer a free on-site fitness class at 9.30 a.m. Following the class with Orange Theory, Crispin Green will officially open to the public and offer one free signature salad or grain bowl from 10.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. to all guests. Additionally, Crispin Green has partnered with local Boulder School Creekside Elementary for their grand opening fundraiser on Saturday and Sunday night. A portion of the weekend's profits will be donated to the school's parent-teacher organizations. The grand opening weekend wraps on Sunday, April 30, with another free fitness class hosted by Move Creo and Yoga, Boulder's only chiropractic office that combines high-level chiropractic care, one-on-one functional yoga sessions, and group session to eliminate pain, prevent injuries, and improve athletic performance. Post-class, there will be an opportunity for the first 100 guests for lunch to receive a free tumbler. Thank you for joining us for the Boulder Weekly. My name is Eric Levine. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.